eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, what's good? Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo, one of the analysts at 24-7 Sports. And thank you so much for tuning in once again as we continue the second week on this new feed. Remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. On today's show, we're going to visit with Bud Elliott, a national analyst for 24-7 Sports. Bud will break down the state of Florida and take a close look at how Florida, Miami, and Florida State are doing right now. There are a number of interesting topics and and dynamics in play with these traditional powers trying to keep the top in-state talent home. And we'll ask Bud to see how he sees things unfolding for each of those programs. We're also going to catch up with national recruiting analyst Brandon Huffman to get a look at what Oregon is getting in its latest big-time commitment out west from four-star tight end Maliki Matavao. The commitment could also have ramifications nationally, so we'll ask Huff to see what that could mean for the likes of Georgia and Penn State at the tight end position specifically, as well as break down the top four for the nation's number two rated wide receiver, Troy Franklin, who has Alabama, ASU, Oregon, and Washington as his finalists. But first, let's begin with the kickoff. The Division I Council Coordination Committee extended the recruiting debt period for all sports through July 31st. That announcement was made Wednesday afternoon. The committee plans to regularly evaluate the debt period, continuing to be guided by medical experts, but it does sound like recruits will have to wait until August at the earliest to take visits. Could that mean more commitments in the coming month as recruits see spots filling up? Could that mean more offers going out to to players without in-person evaluations or or visits or or even camps? It's going to be fascinating to monitor and track in the coming weeks. But as always, keep it locked in at 24-7 Sports for all the latest and how recruiting is being shaped by the ongoing pandemic. Switching gears now, we are joined by the one and only Bud Elliott, national analyst and originating editor for 24-7 Sports. Bud, how are you doing? Blair, glad to be on the show, man. I'm excited about this. We we uh, like like we've talked we talked about it on this podcast for the last few weeks. Is you know we, we're trying to bring different perspectives from all corners of the country, and you cover the state of Florida extensively. You've got a, a, a deep knowledge of of everything that's happening down there in Florida. So wanted to touch base with you because we've got three schools that are all maybe in, in kind of different stages of what's happening in recruiting and how they're dealing with this pandemic, Florida, Florida State, Miami, and, and wanted to touch base with you in terms of how things are, are happening, how things are shaping up. 
Uh, Florida right now a top 10 class. So let's start with them, Dan Mullen and, and, his, and his staff and, and what they're doing. What stands out to you about what they're doing and, and how they're accomplishing, you know, being able to, to lock in a top 10 class at the moment? Sure. So I, I think Dan Mullen has done a really good job of showing his proof of concept, right? Florida's had back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Their recruiting has certainly improved year-to-year uh, under Mullen, and, and they have some some pieces in their class that I certainly like. Uh, they're also, if you look at their at their class, uh, their average star rating right now, or, or their average, you know, recruit rating, they it's actually probably a little bit lower than than what you'll see on our website. Uh, it's it's actually better than that because they have two junior college guys who we at twenty four seven Sports have put a rating on, but the uh, the other networks have not yet, and so the composite uh, still shows them as zero stars, but. We have Dewan Black, their outside linebacker uh, commitment, who they actually signed last year or, or two years ago. Uh, we have him as the number one junior college backer in the nation. And then also Diave Hammond, who we have a pretty high three-star grade on. So they they have a, a really nice class going. Uh, and, of course, their their rating will shoot up once those guys get a grade on the composite, which is triggered you know, by by some of the other services getting around to, to putting grades on them. Um, I, I really like a couple of their players in their class, if I, if I could point out. I, I think Justice Boone is a really high upside defensive lineman, uh, but also a kid with a, a pretty solid floor. He's a dude who has the frame to come in and I, I think make an early impact, but also the guy who, who could really blossom into a superstar. You know, Charles Montgomery is, is a really nice looking athlete out of Armwood, which is a major state power there um, in the state of Florida. They They've got some dudes who are, are pretty solid. I'm intrigued by Javante Gardner, one of their offensive tackles who plays by me here in Orlando at, at Jones High School. He's a three-star prospect. Um, but they they have some some nice pieces, and now they have two quarterbacks in their class too with Carlos Del Rio out of Georgia, and then they took uh, Jalen Kitten, who I believe is John Kitten's son, uh, on Tuesday or Monday, whatever day that was, out of uh, out of Texas. But the thing with Florida is, and if you look at Florida's message board on – Alligator Alley 24-7, their fans don't really seem happy with it. And, and the reason is that throughout the history of the state of Florida, when when the two other programs are down, the, the other program, if it's up, seems to really clean up in recruiting within the state. We saw this uh, first, I mean, like second to most recently with Urban Meyer getting to beat up on like Larry Coker and then very end of career Bobby Bowden. To, to build that dynasty that they're the little mini dynasty they had, I guess, uh, w- with two national titles in a three year span and, and Heisman winner Tebow and all, and all those guys. And then we saw it with Jimbo getting to sort of beat up on, on the mess that Urban left at Florida and then also against like Randy Shannon and Al Golden. And they really cleaned up in recruiting there at Florida State. Well, now Miami and Florida State are, are down and probably as down combined as they've been in quite a while. And yet, Florida is not taking as much advantage in state as you would think they might. Instead, we're seeing teams like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU come in and raid the state of Florida, and they're argu- they're arguably benefiting from it just as much as the Gators are, and and that drives Florida fans nuts, right? Dan Mullen has the on-field results; I think he's a great on-field coach, but then they turn and they look at Georgia, and Georgia signs the freaks. Right, and they they do it on, on a yearly basis. Georgia right now, I think, has what is it the highest or, or second highest uh, recruit average in the SEC at, at ninety four point oh five. So they're just, yeah, just just edging out Alabama there at ninety four oh three. 
that's kind of where Florida sits right now. I, I think they will sign the best class in the state this year, maybe by a good bit, but I don't know if they're cleaning up in state quite like you'd expect them to, given how the other two programs are right now. And I think there's a lot of that going on across the country. You know, when you talk about the big states, the Floridas, the Texas, the the Georgias, the Californias, USC is dealing with the same issue that Florida is dealing with, right? Where some of these big national programs, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, they're coming in and raiding the the state. So in terms of the future, right, number six right now in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings, do you ever envision Florida being able to to lock in a, a top three class, you know, given the fact that Dan Mullen now has started to establish himself there, started to really hone in and really, I guess, maybe target a, a specific type of recruit that, that they're getting. Because you, you mentioned Dewan Black, and I wanted to touch on him because this is a player that I saw at the Polynesian Bowl for a week a couple of years ago. And, you know, th- this is about, what, 80 to 85 of the best players in the country uh, playing in, in Honolulu for a week of practice in pads. And, and this was a player that I, I felt was probably the best guy there that whole week. So we, we know Florida can recruit at, at a very high level and can do it across the board. Can, can they take that next step? Maybe. I, I, I think it's going to involve, you know, beating a Georgia or, you know, beating an LSU and a Georgia in the same year. At times, they do seem to come up short in, in some of these more high-profile recruitments when they're going up against Georgia or Clemson or an Ohio State. That's not to say they never win those, right? They they beat Clemson last year for Henderson, the uh, the, the the brother obviously of uh, of CJ who got drafted in the I think the first round this year. So, but if Florida's going to land a top three class, I mean, you have to have. If we kind of assume that that roughly a static top five is Bama, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson in recent years, that's kind of been what we've seen for the most part. If they're going to let go top three, they got to bump three of those schools out. Now, you can make a pretty good argument they could bump one or two, but bumping three of those is it's kind of hard to see. Can you have a top three class if you have six three stars in your class? The numbers typically say that's tough. That That's kind of right on the borderline there. I think it's possible. I wouldn't predict it. Manny Diaz and Miami coming off of six and seven season in its debut year down in Coral Gables. They are a top 20 class right now. So they're not really seeing the the, the bad effect of, of a losing season. What do you think Manny Diaz is doing correctly what what do you think he is getting right right now when it comes to pulling in prospects and and reeling in some guys that are highly coveted sure Uh, I think Manny really understands the Miami culture and the culture of the South Florida area I mean he's obviously a Miami guy Uh, his dad was actually the mayor of Miami people know his name there in Miami I I think a lot of kids are, are believing in the vision that he has. And yet Miami in their lifetime, especially in, in their formative years, has really not been anything special. I, I think if you're a Miami fan, you're like, okay, yeah, cool. We, we have a nice class right now. But Miami has had probably the best decommitment class in the nation for three, three out of the last four years. I mean, they, they always have an awesome list of players who at one point were committed to Miami, but then all of a sudden they, they get a better offer or an offer they believe to be better rather. Uh, and, and they end up flipping I think with Diaz this year on the field, 
is going to be very important, right? Their, their quarterback recruiting so far has been a bit of a disaster with, uh, with you know, Jaron Williams, obviously, in, in the portal and, and Nikosi Perry not working out. They go out, they get several high-profile transfers who, who are win-now guys. And I think that's the right thing to do if you're Manny Diaz because I, I'm of the opinion that if you are, are like an in-house promotion from a coordinator to a head coach, which Diaz technically wasn't because he was, he was Temple's head coach, remember, for like 48 hours back then, like he went to Temple and then, uh, and then Mark Rick retired and they're like, oh, wait, uh, we're going to promote Diaz. And so he was only Temple's coach for, I don't know, maybe a week or so. I, I think we can pretty much regard him as sort of like an in-house promotion, really, since he probably never even got a house in Temple or an apartment. Um, I think with those guys, they have to show progress quicker uh, than their their counterparts who come from outside the program, simply because they have to show that the reason why they got the job in part was because they understood all the internal issues and they were the best person with the most most knowledge of the internal problems to be able to turn around and fix them quickly, right? With, with, with an out of, out of, like out of town or, or out of school hire, that person has to have a little bit of a learning and acclimation period to understand what's actually going wrong inside of the program. So I really think this is going to be a key year for Miami on the field. And if Miami does have a good year, and their schedule is pretty easy this year, I think they'll probably win eight, nine, 10 games. If they're able to do that, I think they're going to be able to keep more of these recruits than they normally do. I, I really like some of the kids in their class Lawrence Seymour is obviously an offensive lineman who, who a lot of schools are after. Miami continues to keep him committed. Ryan Rodriguez, I think, is a pretty underrated center out there, and we've actually bumped him uh, already. He's, he's number 402 in the composite. Khalil Brantley is an interesting tight end prospect who, who I've seen a lot play seven on seven. They, they have some good pieces here that they're building on, and they're certainly in on some more top targets as well. A lot of it's going to come down to the season this year, I think. Yeah, it's results driven. And and I think the thing that stood out to me about what you said is, like you said, it, it was an in like an in, in-house hire. So uh, the adjustment and, and maybe the transition should be a little bit more seamless, right? There there shouldn't be that big of a jump. There shouldn't be a change of, of scenery, all, all that stuff. He, he recognizes also the landscape and, and how locals view the program. So obviously, uh, Manny Diaz ha- has things going right in recruiting despite the, the losing season to kick off his tenure there as head coach at Miami uh, shifting gears over to Florida state. This one is, I think more of a surprising one. Uh, they rank number 41 right now in the 24 seven sports composite team rankings. So outside the top 40, obviously when there is a coaching change, we always see a, a rise. We always see a, a change of pace in, in terms of recruiting because the new coach and the new staff were able to sell a, a new future, right? They're able to sell a new perspective. Everything is rosy you know, during that honeymoon period because they are changing the culture. They're changing the direction of the program. So Mike Norvell now has a, a task of, of having to you know, really sell a dream without really having any substance because of the pandemic, obviously. And, and you know, recruits haven't been able to take in-person visits. So that is a roadblock of sorts for uh, Norvell and, and his staff right now. But like I mentioned before, Florida State does have the best average per commit among these three schools. So uh, you would have to assume that based on that trajectory, the, the Seminoles will be just fine. Yeah, I, I think they'll they'll end up with a a, a solid to good class. Um, 
I'm actually kind of looking into something and I'm studying this and, and we just don't have enough data yet to really draw great conclusions. But one thing I'm very interested in, Blair, is it used to be in the recruiting industry, we always talked about that first full class for a coach. Remember just, okay, wait, wait, in his first full class, not the one where you only have six or eight weeks to sign it, but the one where you get the full year. I, I think now in the early signing period era, that might be changing because the established schools who are not making coaching changes are already getting such a head start on that next year's class that I don't know if you really get that full bump until your second full year class. Like for instance, this is Jeremy Pruitt's second full class and it looks like Tennessee is really, really putting together a nice class this year. I think we're seeing this a lot. I don't think that the first full year class is quite what it used to be, but I don't have enough data yet to say that definitively. I do have enough data to say that if you're a year one coach during this COVID thing, uh, this this is trouble. This is really hard to navigate around, and we're seeing different approaches by different staffs. Some staffs are willing to take a lot of prospects. We actually had Mike Norvell uh, on our 24-7 Sports social distance chat, and we, and we talked to him, and he said, look, we, we are just not interested in taking commitments from players, uh, for the most part, who we haven't seen in person, who we don't feel like are actually committed to us. and." He revealed, obviously, that there are several kids who tried to commit to them, and they said, no, like we don't really feel like this is the right time to take a commitment from you. If you go down their list, the one commonality that they all have right now is they've either visited campus or they're a player, like in the case of Luke Altmeyer, who the staff was recruiting when they were at a, a prior school. Uh, and so they, I think they feel like these guys that they have right now are pretty solid to them, and they have a good feel for who they are. They've actually eyeballed and they've seen them in person. The, the key to remember here is a lot of these players in the state of Florida and a lot of these high school coaches, they either don't know who Mike Norvell is or they just don't know him personally yet because of all the, the spring visits and things, not only to college, but the evaluation period where coaches and, and schools get out on the road to visit high schools, that was canceled as well. So I, I think that their, their lack of commits uh, is – there is some intentionality to it, just from, from, you know, according to Mike Norvell. Like they're, they've turned down kids. I think they're going to be in chase mode come the fall, and we'll see how many flips they can get off. Of course, I think we could have a pretty big flip season nationally with how many kids are committing right now. Absolutely. I think we're all anticipating uh, our phones to be buzzing off the hook and, 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 and making sure we're tracking everything because it's going to be one of those wild decommitment seasons. Like you mentioned, we're joined by Bud Elliott, national recruiting analyst for 24 seven sports. Before I let you go, Bud, we do a segment on this podcast with every analyst. It's called inside the crystal ball. You put one in recently for Florida state when it comes to three-star receiver, Joshua Burrell out of South Carolina. What can you tell us about Burrell and, and, and why do you like the Seminoles in this battle? Sure. So I, I just got some intel that Florida State felt good uh, about Burrell. He's a player who's visited. He's also a player who had a pre-existing relationship with Florida State staff at, at, at their various other schools. Some of the staff was at Auburn. Obviously, some of the staff was with Norvell at Memphis. Uh, they, they, they feel like he fits in well with their system. Not, not a guy who's going to impress you with his speed necessarily, but uh, solid size, you know, really nice hands and, and comes down with the football. We, we have him graded, I think, as an 87 or an 88, which is probably a good fit, you know, for a player that doesn't have that elite speed, but he profiles as somebody who could be a pretty good college player. And uh, I think it's indicative that Florida State likes him a lot because we know they've been as choosy as they have been with, with who to take commitments from uh, to this point. 
Right, right. So Florida State trending for Joshua Burrell, receiver out of Blythewood, South Carolina. Thank you so much, Bud, for joining us this week. We'll be right back here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, and we can break out the ukuleles because it's time for West of the Rest with national analyst Brandon Huffman joining the show once again. Your second time. You're the first two-time guest on the on the 24-7 Sports Football Podcast. Well, I figure that, you know, we spent so much time together that this is 24-7's way of letting me still have my moment with you before they fully break us up apart as you go on to stardom, and I'm just a bit player. But You know, we were, we were told that we had chemistry. And so what, what, what better way to, to reignite some of, some of the physics or some of the, 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 the physics, I guess, or the chemistry there that we have. Yeah. I wasn't good in science, but I definitely think there was chemistry better with our podcast than there was when I got my junior year in high school. So let's do it. I'm finally doing good in chemistry. The, the lone memory, and I'll keep this short that I have about my chemistry class was me sitting in the front row because my last name starts with an A. So they, we, we were seated, we were seated in alphabetic order. I was in the front row, front and center during an experiment. Our professor, or I guess our teacher at the time in, in high school, she, she blew up uh, some sort of test tube or, or uh, there was an experiment. It blew up and it landed on my hair. Mm. And, and so the, the, the bell rang and she had to wash out my hair and she gave me a little wink and she told me my grade was going to be perfect. And, uh, and, and that's the, that's how I passed my chemistry class. Blair, if you're not playing paper football with Bunsen burners, what were you doing in chemistry? <laughs> Absolutely. We've, we've got, a, we've got a lot to talk about out West. There was a big commitment uh, earlier this week, Maliki Matavao, four-star tight end from Henderson Liberty High School down in the Las Vegas area, committed to the Oregon Ducks. It sent shockwaves throughout the West region because it, it has some ramifications now at the tight end position for a number of other schools. But let's start with the Ducks and what they're getting in Maliki Matavao. You saw him earlier this offseason at a seven-on-seven tournament, a player who has really high upside, physically about 6'6", 240. So he, he might not need much seasoning in terms of being college ready and, and a player that you know we, we really like as a member of the top 24-7. 
yeah, you know, he's a top five tight end nationally in the composite, an All-American and playing in San Antonio and Polynesian Bowl All-Star, you know, really has that size and skill set to probably make a pretty quick and smooth transition into playing time, not necessarily going to need time to redshirt and, and to get bigger. He's already got college-ready size. It obviously gives them a player at a position of need. I think more importantly is that this commitment – you know, certainly enhances what Oregon's been able to do recruiting-wise, where they continue to go in to other states in the Western region. And, you know, Nevada's not a Pac-12 state, but it's in the Pac-12 footprint. And after going into Arizona to get a commitment from Ty Thompson, going into California for some commitments, they went into Utah, now they're into Nevada. And they continue to grab top players from other states in the region. And they already have a commitment from their top player in the state of Oregon. So, you know, once again, they're showing that they've got a wide reach. They get a player at a position of need, one of the premier tight ends in the country. And more importantly, I think for them, it's not only do they enhance their own tight end depth chart, but they heard a couple of Pac-12 schools who really had Malik and Maraval high on their boards. Yeah, UCLA was one of those. Now they have to figure out what they're going to do at the tight end spot. I know they lost a couple guys to the NFL and to graduation and to transfers, so they need to restock their their room. Uh, maybe they'll look at, at an Eric Olson out in Colorado, uh, Isaac Vaja from the state of Utah. But this also had some national ramifications because uh, along with UCLA, we had Penn State and Georgia in the top four for Maliki Matavao. Georgia now looks primed to be adding the number one tight end in the West region, and that's Brock Bowers. Well, interestingly enough, Matavao comes from the same state that Georgia went and got a tight end last year from in Darnell Washington, but now they are in the lead for a player that I think is an actually better pure tight end than Darnell Washington, that is Brock Bowers. And like you mentioned, Georgia and Penn State were on the shortlist for Maliki Matavao, but they've also been you know, going at it head-to-head for Brock Bowers. And a case where the Pac-12 finally got a tight end in that battle with Maliki, but right now they're on the outside looking in for Brock Bowers. I put in a crystal ball for Brock into Georgia shortly after he had made his top eight. Uh, and when I put that in, you know, I kind of did it with a little bit of a leap of faith. Um, I think that the next crystal ball came, gosh, probably two weeks after I had put one in. But I had known that Georgia had been a school he'd been leading to, and it seems like he's been their top guy. And so that was the guy Georgia was waiting on. I know Penn State's waiting on him. There's a lot of other schools. So Oregon gets themselves their tight end. If they, you know, get a commitment from Brock Bowers, I'm sure they would absolutely take him. But they've been able to remedy losing potentially Brock Bowers by getting Maliki. Now you've got other schools that are still, there's four Pac-12 schools still in his top eight, five, I think actually five Pac-12 schools waiting to see what he does. And all signs are pointing to him like Darnell Washington a year ago, heading East and heading to the Southeast in particular to Georgia. I still like where the Bulldogs sit for Brock Bowers, but that once that decision is made, which doesn't seem like it's going to be for a while, I think you'll now see a second wave of tight end offers start to go out to guys like Christian Peterson out of San Mateo Serra, to guys like JT Byrne out of Carmel, Carlton Brown out of San Luis Obispo, JP Murphy, Northern California, kind of waiting to see. He's still got, I think, what, three of the four tight ends in Colorado are uncommitted. But I think Maliki, just with, with the expectation Brock's headed out of the Pac-12 footprint, I think with Maliki now making his commitment, you're going to see Pac-12 schools start to go to that next tier and try to get tight ends in this class. 
Tight end is one of those positions similarly to what quarterbacks is in terms of the dominoes. There's usually one, sometimes two that that schools are taking per class, right? So uh, we always see the domino effect. Once one's on the board, they're able to kind of move to their next target. One team that didn't wait around for Maliki Matavao was Washington. They were actually the leader for Matavao really early on. They lost uh, their tight ends coach, Jordan Pau Pau, who's now at UNLV. Uh, that really kind of affected things. But I really liked where the Huskies were for Matavao after landing Troy Fautanu from the same high school, Liberty, uh, down in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, but they did pick up a tight end commitment earlier in the week as well from the number one JUCO tight end, Quentin Moore from Independence Community College. What do we like about Quentin Moore? What makes him such a highly coveted junior college prospect? I mean, he had over two dozen offers. Yeah, well, you know, he was a player that coming out of high school, had his grades been right, would have probably been a starter last fall at an FBS program. Uh, or if anything, he's in the 2D because he was that talented coming out of high school. But as he admitted, his grades were so bad in his sophomore and junior year, no matter what he did his senior year, it wasn't going to rectify the situation academically. But talent-wise, athletically, he had a big junior season, an even bigger senior season as a pass catcher. And he goes to independence, only has six receptions on on the year, but because they led their conference in rushing, it allowed him to really develop as a blocker. And I think that was the trait he didn't necessarily have as a strength for him when he was at Inglemore High School, which is just a few miles north of Husky Stadium. He always wanted to come back and play at Washington, but academically, that wasn't going to be a possibility in high school. He goes to Independence, which was uh, the last chance U fame, has a, a freshman season that only sees the ball six times, but because of his skill set, because of his size, and because of the fact he got on track academically, he had 25-plus offers to choose from, but ultimately the opportunity for him to come home and play just miles from where he grew up was too much for him to pass on. Durham Cotto, the, the Huskies' first year tight ends coach, gets a huge get in Quinton Moore, the number one, like you said, number one Juco tight end in the country. But it also gives them that chance that even if they miss out on some of the high school tight ends that they're after, it gives them a guy who's immediately ready to come in and play in 2020, uh, or I'm sorry, in 2021, when he would be able to sign in December and then be there for next year, uh, especially because they could lose some guys early to the draft. But Moore has now developed as a blocker, so it gives them an option to be kind of that all-around tight end, and it gives them a little bit less pressure to find you know, two high school tight ends. We're joined by Brandon Huffman, the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Huffman. Huff, there was another big moment out West this week with one of the top receivers in the country, Troy Franklin from Menlo Park, California, Menlo Atherton High School, a top 50 prospect in the 24-7 sports composite, um, a number two receiver overall in the country behind Emeka Ekbuka, and he narrowed his list to a top four. We've got Oregon, Washington, Alabama, and ASU. USC missed the cut there, so we'll touch on that in a little bit, but what do we make of the top four for Troy Franklin? Well, like you said, USC missing the cut was kind of the story. I think a lot of people thought USC had started to gain some ground. It was a school that his mother kind of preferred, being that it was closest to home. Uh, but it shows the, A, Arizona State continues to make a lot of inroads out west, which they, you know, Arizona State's a Pac-12 school. It should, but it's the early impact Prentice Gill has had as the receivers coach at Arizona State. He was able to flip Johnny Wilson a year ago. Now to get into Troy Franklin's time, uh, Final Four, he eliminates LSU, he eliminates USC. 
Alabama making a big run, though. He's being compared to Devontae Smith, who will graduate after this season. And then the two that have kind of been at the forefront of his recruitment from the beginning, Washington and Oregon. Interestingly enough, Washington was the school that offered the most recent of his Final Four, but they also have had probably the best thing going for him in that two of his teammates were freshmen there last year. He's been playing on the seven-on-seven circuit with FSP and Sam Heward, who's already committed to the Huskies. I think this is a Husky duck battle for him. I put in my crystal ball the first day of the confidence point. I put it at a one towards Oregon because I think it's going to be those two schools really jostling. But this could be a case where maybe they cancel each other out in Alabama with Steve Sarkeesian and, and uh, having the ability to recruit out West, given his time as the head coach at Washington and USC. He has stayed on Troy Franklin, who was initially offered by Tosh Lapoy. Now you got Sark doing the recruiting. I won't count out Alabama, especially given their recent run of receivers over the last few years and then the two they had drafted in the first round last month. I think Alabama will absolutely stay a factor. And I won't completely count out Arizona State, but at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a Northwest battle between Oregon and Washington. Those are always fun. Those are always very uh entertaining uh, not only on social media but on the message boards over at dogman 24 7 sports site for washington and duck territory the oregon site at 24 7 sports they they keep it cordial right they, they do i mean it's not it's never one of those tweets that i have to mute the conversation immediately after i hit tweet because everybody handles themselves so well before we let you go off i wanted to get your thoughts on the extension of the recruiting dead period which the the announcement was made by the Division One Council Coordination Committee that all sports the the dead period has been extended through July thirty first. So obviously things will be continued to eval- be evaluated and assessed. But for now, it, it does look like recruiting will continue to be at a halt in, in terms of in person visits and in person evaluations uh, until the the beginning of August. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what ultimately gets ruled in this because with the extension through July, the month of July for the last few years had been a dead period. Now, this was the first year that they ever had a February dead period, not understanding a pandemic was right around the corner. So they've essentially had since signing day about a 12 to 13 day window that recruits could visit schools. You wipe out the spring evaluation period. Now the dead period goes all the way to the end of July. By the time you get to August, if we have a season, August will probably be a heavy focus on the upcoming season. Remember, majority of schools either didn't get any spring football practice or only got a few amounts. So I think the last thing college coaches want to worry about in August is recruiting and getting recruits to their campus. They've had nothing but time with recruiting and Zoom calls and virtual tours for the previous two months. I think in August, they're going to want to focus exclusively on their team. That just means that September, when the quiet period kicks in, but then the evaluation period, when you can go to games and have a certain amount of days, that's going to be ramped up. So now it's going to be interesting to see, do they add more days? Do they let the head coach go on the road a little bit more? Does the the contact period maybe get brought out to the beginning of November as opposed to the end of December? Instead of using just that December first until the early signing period for in-home visits? Do they maybe extend that into November? Do they shut down and, you know, maybe not have the dead period after the early signing period? There's still a lot of moving parts here, but what we do know is that college coaches will not be able to evaluate or even see a recruit in person in front of them until August at the earliest, and that's assuming the NCA rules that coaches can have recruits on campus in August because 
At the end of the day, these are still minors, and the NCAA is already going to have enough to deal with with the college students on campus practicing. Now you're allowing them to potentially bring minors onto campus. That may open them up to a whole other sense of liability, and we know how the NCAA is with that. We could be looking at a few more months still until coaches can see recruits in person. A few more months of virtual visits and Zoom meetings and phone calls, and and we're all going to be monitoring and tracking it and really covering it over at 24-7 Sports along with Brandon Huffman, who you could follow on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. Thank you so much for joining us, Huff. Good to hear that. So that's a reminder that you can follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. And remember, if you've got recruiting questions, please put them in a five-star Apple podcast review. Our goal will be to have enough questions for a full mailbag episode in the coming weeks. So please get all your questions in. Thanks so much for listening again to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Show. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.